If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not go to a pub at all. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a Murray, well, I'd say Peroni as well. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Four Blades in a pub, and we're back to discuss Sheffield United again with you all. I'm John, um, and I'm joined by Ian. Good evening, everyone. Dan. Hello, everybody. And Phil. Good evening. And we've not been with you for a few weeks uh, because work and life's got in the way. And in the time we've not been recording, there's been some particularly horrendous performances by United. No worse than that complete and utter steaming pile of excrement which was served up. 8pm on Saturday, completely ruining most people's Saturday nights and Sunday mornings as a result. We're only going to talk about this for five minutes. I thought it was one of the most abject performances I've seen from the United side. Terrible tactics and team selection from the off. You've got the cursed partnership of Sharp and McBurney, which has never worked. So why would it work against a side who's tightened up the defence in recent months? Right down to some sort of dodgy attempt for John Lundstrom to net be a ball-playing deep-line playmaker. And taking, although he's not been up to scratch, the only passer in the team out. We've got a hospital uh, submission for a player who then went into hospital one day with an ominous like sort of injury, and then all of a sudden he's thrust back into the eleven. Team Brian playing in the Premier League, bless him, and it was just generally dreadful. Dan, what was your thoughts on how the actual game went down? I mean, we, we talked about this on Sunday morning Ian, when we were out for, out for the run and it was like we set up like a fourth division side going to a Premier League side in a, in a, in a cup tie. We set up with the, the mentality of keep it tight, you know, don't give anything away and if we're still in it with 10 minutes to go, great, maybe we'll have a, we'll have a bash and that's, you know, I, I, I can half see that if you if you're ravaged with injuries but... Surely, I mean, this is full of, you know, if you're going to Anfield or you're going to, um, you know, Etihad or Old Trafford, maybe that's the way to set up against it. But even even if your squad's cut, you know, cut short through injuries, I still think we need to show more ambition than that. And this is, you know... I don't understand if we're going to play like that, why we play Sharp and McBurney up top. If you're going to play like the way we did, play Burke. Because at least he's going to trouble them if you kick the, kick it over the top and and try and turn them round. But you, we just you'd, you'd have been, it'd have been better putting an extra man in midfield, sticking someone like Osborne in midfield, so you've got that three, and then get some, and then having Burke up front on his own, and going like four five one or five four one. At least then you're a lot more solid, and then like I said, pull them out and drop it over the top for Burke. That would have been yeah, you're right. That would have been far more sensible to me. Or, or get Vogel in the midfield somewhere because I understand the logic of, and I said it on one of the chats before. He's probably put Baldock in because of how much of a problem Luckman was to us at Bama Lane and and the form he's been in. But at the same time, like eighteen Fulham, like you know what I mean. Like every Premier League side's got players who can hurt you if you let them. So I don't know. It just from us. Line up stunk of somebody who's panicking and that isn't making his decisions, isn't making them. I, I saw a comment from Blaze Analytics saying, well, we had six players out. You can't, you know, we've got to think about how he's approaching the game with six first teamers out. And I couldn't think of six first teamers who were out, maybe not fully fit, but that also smacks of how desperate the backup squad are if we're happy to play John Fleck, who was reportedly in hospital the week before ill and other players ahead of those players so in a game that you'd still like to believe we could go and try and get something from regardless of how well whatever form Fulham are in I mean they weren't great they made a lot of changes from Monday night Parker so why why are we why we're we putting players in who aren't fully fit when we've got fit players on the bench it, it, 
I just didn't I didn't understand a lot of it from seven o'clock seeing the team sheet through to a ten o'clock conclusion. And not even a bottle of C B D infused beer made it any more pleasurable viewing. I mean some I don't think some L S D infused beer would have helped. It's it was it was awful. Phil, you made a, you made a fantastic point before we started recording that there's no need to discuss this further because it's a variation on a theme we've seen all too often, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this, this what we've just talked about for the last four minutes or so could have been a handful of games or more this season, or two handfuls of games this season. It just, I don't know. Uh, we we seem we don't just seem like obviously we've had the injuries and and it's been a plague all season. It just seems to get worse, but. We seem devoid of any kind of positive tactics. And that's what was so good about us last season. Okay, we had a defence that was like impenetrable at times, but we don't seem to have got any ambition from the way that we set up at the start of the game. And it's so obvious. It's so easy to play against. And, and that's uh, it. Defence that's, yes. so, that's so weak that we invited the opposition onto us. That's worked well all season. With mistakes we make. The thing so, is, we weren't that negative against Man City away. So why were we that negative this week against Fulham? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Yeah. Five minutes. Right, that's the five-minute timer. We've talked about this horror show for five minutes. Let's not give it any more airtime. I think that's fair enough, Dan. And we're going to come back and uh, look positively on the Liverpool game. And the twelve, <laughs> and the twelve that follow that as well. So, uh, see you in a couple of minutes. Right, welcome back to part two. Uh, after that, very brief for us, part one, and probably rightly so. Um, we're going to try and look forward. Look forward to uh, a tough game at home to Liverpool this weekend and beyond, really, as to what the rest of this season might um, bring for United. We had we asked on Twitter this week uh, for any of your questions, and quite a lot of them came back around, around team selection, um, came around changes of formation and we might touch on that as we as we go through uh, this next few minutes so I guess opening up for a uh, an opening comment what do you what do you think the formation changes might be if any for Saturday is, is he going to ring the changes or do we stick with the kind of negativity and consolidation we, we saw against Fulham Dan I saw you shaking your head there I'll let you have a pop of that I think he's 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 almost painted himself into a corner with the formation because he's been so kind of dogmatic and evangelical about how it's the, the, the system's right, the system's right, the system's right. He's almost put himself in a position where he can't change the system. Because if he does, and we, we pick up a couple of results, whether that's because we change the system or just because these things happen, he kind of undermines everything. He, he kind of undermines himself. So I think... Had he, had he changed the system a couple of times this season, it gives himself more flexibility. The fact that there's been no starting change to the system whatsoever, and like we tweak during games, which every manager does. I think he's, like I say, he's backed himself into a corner where he can't change it, and I don't see the system changing all season. He, he'll just keep shoehorning players in to fit this back, back, back three, you know, pushed on full backs, midfield three, two up top. And they'll shoot all players in the rest of the and that, that that's a worry, isn't it? Because I mean, obviously now we're without our entire first choice back three. You know, we we can match Liverpool. Liverpool fans moaning about losing the the centre halves, but we've we've lost the three players who've taken us on this journey from the back. Um, do you do you disagree with do you, what? Do you agree with uh, Dan there, Phil, that he's not going to change it? Because with, with three first-choice centre-backs out, it, it's leaving us very few options unless you, like you say, it becomes square pegs in round holes. Well, I think I don't think he'll change it. And like Dan says, I think he's he's almost backed himself into such a corner that now he'll make himself look foolish by changing it. And he's not wrong, by the way, that mistakes are what's cost us all season. 
But it's not as if we're taking teams apart and creating loads of chances against them. The only reason Fulham only beat us 1-0 the other day is because they're not a particularly great side. Come up against a good side with that kind of negativity. And if Mane and Salah and whoever else is on, on the day and on song on, on the weekend when we play Liverpool, playing that negative, we're just going to get taken apart at will. Now, what he does in terms of selection, that's a different question altogether. Because, like you say, losing the entire back three, who does it leave us with? What choices have we got? And You've got to feel for Wilder a bit, because he must be pulling his air out of the injuries we've had this season. But to lose your entire back three is harsh. It really yeah. is harsh. No, any, news on, is any, any news on Bash yet? I know, obviously, it's a hamstring, but is there any news on a pull, a tear, a strain, two weeks, six weeks, ten weeks? Not I've not seen anything. No. no. Nothing. I can't remember Basham being injured in the last seven years. Or however long he's been here. That's how that's I can't think of a time he was out. Problem you've got with someone like Basham who's now thirty two year old, the amount of running he does and the up and down all game that he's that he that he does, he might never come back the same player from this if it's a tear. But it's, also, it's almost inevitable that someone, like you say, of his age, who plays the way he does and plays the position he does and the role he does, was going to pick up a hamstring or a, or a thigh or a calf sooner or later. And the fact yeah. that he's never... We obviously, we've not got the squad to rotate, so it's not like he plays one game in two or one game in three and someone else comes in. He plays whenever he's fit and available. And that's pretty much 99.9% of the time, isn't it? So... Yeah. I'll tell you I'd like to see replace him at the weekend and I don't think he'll do it and that's Bold- Bold- yeah, Rob, no, Baldock see if Baldock can play that right centre half role he's a far far better defender than he is attacker but he can still attack him if we do decide to get, carry on with the attacking overlapping centre halves but it gives a chance to play Baldock and Bogle in the same team which I'd be really interested to see not, yes. not seeing the overlapping centre-halves happening for, for quite a bit of time in the traditional sense, but I agree, Phil. I've started jotting down something that resembles the team here and it's given me, like, palpitations. Um, I I don't... I, to go back to what we were originally talking about, about the system, I don't see the system changing because the personnel aren't there. We don't... The natural change from our... If you've got Pums in defence, it'd be to go more compact across the back as a four and then put things in front of it. But we haven't got the flexibility to add width and the attacking positions. Let's do something really like out there like Burke and Bogle on the wings because they're the only two players really with any pace. I just feel... I do feel for Wilder in the sense of his injuries, but every club has injuries. And we, and we knew about the we've known about the O'Connell injury for three months, and we've seen the problems that were there. So to, I, I agree with not spending money, but there were talk, wasn't there, about someone coming in on loan in January? That might have been the sensible area to bring somebody in because we're in a position now. Ender Stevens has been in and out all season, so he's probably is technically still injured. Low Brian, low Brian Jags. Oh, like potentially Rodwell, like it's right. Jack Robinson. Jack Robinson's on comeback trail as well. Eh? I suppose it could be Robinson. I heard a stat the other day, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but they said that we've only got two outfield players that haven't been injured so far this season out of our squad of 25. And I was racking my brains to think who the two even are. And I'll come up with Bogle. Baldock. Baldock's been injured. Was he injured or was he just. Yeah. Yeah, he, was oh, okay. he went off, didn't he? He got subbed off. That's how, like... Um... Norwood? <laughs> You'd argue he's been injured all season. Well, yeah. But I don't think he's been injured, has he? I think he's been dropped when he's been out. It's a, it's a strange... The Norwood one's strange because despite him being completely crap in a lot of games, still the only midfielder we've got who progresses the ball forward. It's... It, it, and. We were slightly better when he came on against Fulham, and that was because somebody was actually taking a bit of responsibility and passing it around. Um, and I think it is terrifying. I think what's an interesting one is Dan. You, you, what did you say? You either leave the club and Ender Stevens, or you leave the club and Andy Taylor. 
it's the it's the it's the Batman thing from um, what's the second one? Dark Knight. Uh, Harvey Dent's talking about you either you either die a hero or live or, or uh, live long enough to see yourself become a villain. Basically, you either die and you, you either die and end of Stevens, or you live long enough to see yourself become Andy Taylor. And unfortunately, that's kind of what he's ended up doing. And I think that's going to happen with a lot of our players. Unfortunately, over this next thirteen games, with the injuries, we could we've not got hammered yet. Now, when I say hammered, we've been hammered on the pitch. If you watch the game, you're like, God, we were shy. We got nothing out of it. We've not been on the back end of a six, seven niler, have we? Now Chelsea, Chelsea beat us four, didn't they? That that's the biggest one in it so far. Without four one. Because gold we, we went ahead in that game. Um but we've not had that proper I think we're gonna be on the receiving end of a couple of them. And knowing our luck will come at the worst times, like against Leeds or something. And our thing is though that, that that doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't honestly make a difference. Other than being embarrassed, we could lose every game between now and the end of the season 5-0 and it makes not a bit of difference to the position we're in now. We're rock bottom, we're dead last, we've got 11 points, we're one of the worst Premier League sides in uh, in all time, in, in history. We get hammered every single game for the rest of the season. It makes no difference. It's not that we're, in, not that we're two points away from safety and five hammerings on trot just, you know, suddenly takes that bit of hope away. There's no hope for the rest of the season. But does it destroy players who maybe, yeah, they have overachieved, but maybe still had a little something to offer us a bit more than they've already had the sort? We're not just talking about legacies because we've talked about wanting a refresh. Do we We need a refresh? That's, that's not going to change. But do you think, you know... Do we really damage the long-term future of some of these players have ever played at this level again? So, for example, Ramsdale in the next 13 games has to pick the ball out of the net 50 times. That's not going to do him a world of good. And I know um, I know, that's not a criticism of him, but that could, could really... End. People like Fleck and stuff, are they going to just think, God, I'm, I'm not up to this anymore? And does that... Make the if we keep getting if we keep losing and especially if we start to get hammered, does that make building a new team, installing confidence an issue? Is I suppose what I'm trying to get at. I think it's already going to be an issue next season. Mm. I think part of the part of that issue is the manager. I think he needs something to reignite him or a change. And I don't want to see Wilder go. I want to see Wilder back to what he was. But I, I don't think he's here next season. No, I don't. I, I, that I, think I think either the second relegation's confirmed or the second the whistle blows against Burnley, he's gone. It's funny. That interview thing. Some, people, some people that know him, that you read about on social media, say that the man's not a quitter. He won't walk away. He'll want to get us back. And I kind of I kind of believe that to a degree because he does strike you as that sort of person that would want to put it right. But there's a lot going off behind the scenes, I think, that we don't know about that I think will cause... That, that's the thing. I think if he thought we were going to go down this season and he had complete free reign next season, as he had done since he's been here on who leaves, who comes in, what we do, I think he might stay and, and have a bash it. But I think, like you said, reading behind the scenes, there's talk about wanting to change the way we do things, the transfer policy, the scouting network, blah, blah, blah. I just, I, I get the feeling that he's he's been put in a position that he doesn't want to be in or he's been asked to do a role that he's not there's a side of me there is a part of me that thinks if he's not prepared to change his way if he's not prepared to do something different because no Premier League club the manager runs everything like us no Premier League club if if he's not prepared to be open-minded to doing something a little bit different do we need a change and that's again I'll say it again I don't want Wilder to leave I really don't but it's an open question it's a really difficult one. To, to me on Saturday, his interview felt like part one of a multi-part farewell conversation. The, the, the one on the official United YouTube channel. Yeah, I saw it. And you you posed the question, I think, on the group. So have you seen it? What do you make of it? And it took me a while to think about it because it, it was just very odd. 
and and the more I think about it, like I say, that that, that bit at the end, um, the reference was it Rex? Was it Rex? Rex in the cup, yeah. those fifteen fans there, and and the chatting to Michael Palin this week that you that you know. Um, Kevin Cooks had, had arranged or whatever for whatever being reason. Blades not about being successful and and all this sort of yeah. stuff. It, was it just felt like I'm 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 gearing up here. I'm 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 starting to tell you that you know I'm going to be one of you guys soon. I am one of you guys, but that's going to be my role soon to be one of you guys. And it, it maybe I'm, again maybe I'm reading it wrong. It was just a very very odd interview. It felt staged. I put that in the group. It felt staged. The interview and the questions and the way they were answered felt like it was planned. Yeah. So. You know, what really pisses me off stuff like that. That oh well, you know, and it, I think it. I like, I don't want to speak for anyone else, uh, particularly like you, Dan. But I think you're like me. You find some of this sort of like almost if you say anything against Wilder or talking bollocks or something, it's like you've attacked the leader of the cult amongst some of our fans. Um, and I I know, yeah, you know, I went, like, I mean, Chris, that's great. You went there, but you're not, you're not stood there now. You've just managed the side and you've turned in a, a really, really poor performance. And that's what you should be talking about, not some sort of, yeah, he is... A United fan, and that's fantastic. And I and I, and I, I love Wilder. I want him to be successful again. Like Phil says, I want him back. You know, with a spring in his step and and things like that. But all that like bladey, like bladeness of it all. I don't know. It just it seems it doesn't seem to fit right with the manager of a Premier League football team, and that I suppose links with. What you're saying, Phil, about changing the sort of if you want to compete at the top level, that sort of, you know, we'll get a bunch of misfits together and the jolly old band and we'll just and we'll we'll knock a tune out of them. I don't like I don't know. I, it's not the right tone I want to hear. And it's for that reason I think like a Dan Phil and I think Ian you'd agree that he might not be the manager next year and it's not a case of him getting sacked or whether we want it or not he might have made that decision already you think about the last two top flight relegations we've had so obviously we obviously got relegated under Warnock and he obviously left straight away but I remember reading an interview with him that said if we had not hit the ground running the following season you know if we had not been top one or two after five or six games the fans would have been after me Bassett, if you remember, Bassett, who obviously in a lot of people's eyes, mine included, is the greatest manager the club's ever had. We didn't hit the ground running when we went down under him. You know, we, we didn't kind of come straight down and we weren't we weren't top, we weren't second, we were floating about a bit further down. And some of the fans, you know, lost patience with him fairly quickly after everything he'd done. You know, he'd done a similar job to what Wilder's done. Possibly better if you consider that he kept us up there for, for longer. Uh, on less resources relatively um, but the fans turned on him so it's because of the season we've had this season we would need to really start strong next season there's an yeah, 12th or 13th after 8 or 9 games there's that expectation already isn't there amongst United fans we're going to piss the championship next season and I'm sorry we may but it don't work like that no we just talked about then about the run of you know Neg- a run of negative results and what that does to not just to players but you know everyone's going oh I've seen tweets today like some kids scored in the um, oh, Zach Bruns had a good game for the academy under 23s whatever last night get him in first team it's like we could destroy players here in this yeah. last period but like, that's promoting, the thing. promoting them too soon fail being part of a struggling team confidence wise and it, it's like Yes, we've signed championship players, you know, in McBurney, Bruce, or players that have had some success at championship level, and we've brought players up with us that were successful in championship. That doesn't necessarily translate to suddenly pissing it. I saw Blaze, Blaze Analytics suggested the night, and I think he said before we'd have the strength to come back up last night on after Sun uh, Saturday. He was saying we probably need a couple of good signings to supplement the team. 
whether that's just the benefit of, of watching this team devolve but more. Is the right, the right word? Devolved in whatever over the course of the season. Um, I don't know, but I think you, you, we, we would need some spark in there because I think one or two players aren't good enough. And I'm not sure if the backup players are good enough to get us back up or if we get back <laughs> to get back up, you've got to have players who can then hit the ground running and over back to square one again, aren't we? I think genuinely think we need probably five or six players for us to mount a serious challenge. I, I agree, Phil, and and I, and I think four or five of them need to be ones that play in the first team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and, and this leads to a point I made the other day on the group, and I don't know that we we're planning on talking that in a little while or not. But after the game the other day, I was that down about it all and and about United in general. It just got me thinking about this side, and I'm struggling to think of maybe one or two at the most players that I'd be really disappointed if we lost. You know, like we have done in the past where we've lost key players and we were good. Yeah. And I, I just, out of this squad of 25, I, I'd, I'd be gutted if we lost O'Connell. I never saw, him, never saw him play again. And probably Fleck for sentimental reasons. But honestly, for me, that's about it. I'd be genuinely gutted if we lost them too. The rest of them, it's either come to the end of their time and I'm acceptant of it or I'm not bothered. I think everyone would agree on O'Connell. I don't want us to sell. I don't want Baldock to go. Because I don't I want know. us to sell anybody. I'm not saying but that. If, but taking Phil's point, if we suddenly got, if we went down this season and we got a £20 million offer for Baldock, you'd go, actually, that's all right because Bogle can step straight in. So there wouldn't be that feeling of, like you know, like like you. I'm guessing Phil, you're talking about when we lost Dean and Fjortoft and Beatty and people exactly. like that. Yeah. I, I I mean I was coming it from a bit more of a. I genuinely some of the players and we spoke about this in the past and we mentioned Fleck and then he had a couple of good games. But you know, your Stevens, your Sharps, your Bashams. I genuinely still think that their like natural cycle in the first team at the club is over and. I'd be genuinely, I, whereas I think someone like Baldock, whenever I've heard him interviewed, I think he has got the bit between his teeth to go again and get the back in being a Premier League club. Um, whereas, is what 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 would upset me on a weird way would be because the rumours isn't the Burger going to Villa. Now he would go there and probably sit right in that midfield next to Douglas Ways and look fantastic. And what would disappoint me about that, it would be a constant reminder on match of the day every Saturday night that we had this player who will then go on and play at an even higher level. And we never really got to see him and stuff like that. But it, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think I'd lose. I remember getting in from the pub when we sold Beatty and being absolutely furious, for example. I was see, young. I'd, like, I'd like to see Burger stay. But if we sold him, and obviously sold him at a profit, which we almost certainly would, again, I mean, well, Bill, you know what I'm like when players leave United. <laughs> essentially, it's dead to me. You know, if, if we sold Bert, I, I, I don't care. If we, providing we sell him, and we sell him for a profit, I don't really care where he goes. I think part of the problem is I've not got an emotional attachment to some of these players. You're not invested in them, are you? Not at all. Not in the slightest. And that's because it's not real. I think there's players that you've had an emotional investment in the past, but over time, and, and that detachment from being at the lane for 12 months, because it's coming up to 12 months anniversary since we were all last at the lane together. What, less than two weeks away to the Norwich game? Yeah. You know, that, that was our last home game together at the, the call. You know, that, that that the way we're watching football now just removes a lot of the emotion from it full stop but then it also removes that emotional attachment in and that bond and that bond was something that was so vital in the two promotions in three seasons it was that bond between player and fan and that feeling we're going in the same direction and it, we're not at the minute no we're not all pulling in the same direction as a fan base as a squad of players you know even on the pitch, you see players just not taking ownership, responsibility on the ball. It, it's it's a sad state of affairs, and like you say, you've got we've got a manager at the minute who perhaps isn't isn't fronting up 
when things aren't working. Well, probably as well, like us all, he wants to go out and have a couple of pints in the pub and then refresh himself to go again on a Monday morning. Um, like, yeah. and that's and that's very difficult. There's loads of things that have, you know, but I just, something with Wilder's interview didn't sit very well with me and I'd, I'd love him to still be in next season and want the players to stay, but we do need to refresh that squad. And I'm sure when we come back to talk about next season, probably in a few weeks' time after we've lost a couple more matches, but we'll talk about the sort of players that we should look to to get in the side. But I think we'd all agree we need to refresh. And we Personally, I just want to see players who move the ball quickly and move it forwards. And... Uh, whether that is Luke Freeman coming back and actually having a run in the side since he's our player, because I don't think Forrest are going to sign him and he'll probably have another two years, three years on his contract uh, that we paid like six and a half, seven million quid for or something like that with some others. So be it, but something has to change. Some of this old guard are going to have to leave for that to happen. So it'll be a very interesting summer. And it'll be particularly interesting who's making the decisions on who those players who come and go are. Hey, trainers, Joe. What these? No, mate, I've had them for years. Just got them back from being clean. Look really good, don't they? Yeah, really? Is that a thing? Honestly, they look new, mate. They look class. Yeah, it's a thing. Really reasonable too. Adam Dunn at this place called Glistening Kicks. They're in Sheffield. Fe- fellas are blade too. Oh, nice one. That saves buying new ones, doesn't it? How do I find them? I've got a few pairs I need looking at myself. Absolutely. Save, save me someone who's got a bit of a trader for you. An absolute fortune. You can get them on social media like most things these days. Go on Twitter at Glistening Kicks and Instagram at Glistening underscore Kicks. Or they have a website, www listeningkicks.co.uk give them a shout the process is dead easy they collect them safely and then drop them back off with you and if you take them round yourself that process could be even quicker um, they look feel and smell like new and it's I'm, I'm absolutely chuffed and I'm already looking at what pairs I'm going to take down um, next to have him look out for us nice one cheers for that I'm going to get on to them straight away what was their intro again at glistening underscore kicks that's the one. Really good service, and I couldn't recommend it enough to any blades. Brilliant. Nice one. All the blades. Welcome back to part three, everyone. Um, we're going to try and pick the mood up a little bit in, in this section. Um, we, we put a tweet out the other day asking for, for some suggestions for questions, uh, and we were... Very, very happy and very, uh, very thankful for the, the amount of responses we got. We've picked three that we think will lead to, to some good discussion and, and hopefully a bit of uh, a bit of light out of banter. Um, thank you for obviously anyone that didn't get their question read out. Thank you all the same for, for sending them. We do appreciate the, the interaction we get. Um, John's got the, the three we've chosen written down. So, John, do you want to uh, lead off with the first one, see if we can uh, raise the spirits a bit? Well, it's, 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 a good, it's a good question, and it's from uh, avid listener Trey the Blade. Uh, he's a, a very keen listener because usually when we uh, we tweet the new pod out, he goes absolutely berserk with some sort of gif and uh, sort of, yeah, he's been waiting for this all week. Maybe he's not been as enthusiastic about these, but it's who has been one of the best bit part players we've ever had. And he used as a perfect example um, Martin Craney from the promotion season two years ago. Now, for me, Craney was absolutely phenomenal. And I'd go as far as to say for the run-in for the 10 games, he was a lot more than a bit part player. He was a key element of, uh, of a solid, I, I think, back to the, the win at Leeds, where he was absolutely wonderful that day the West Brom goal that's being replayed today. But in light of Trey's question, boys, who have we got as a bit part player that we all look back on fondly? I think it's quite hard because the players you think of that probably didn't have a longevity of career were probably reasonably 
regulars as such for a spell, and it depends how you, how you class a bit part player, because there's an argument that Wayne Allison in some ways was a bit part player, but he made a good contribution. And, it, and, it, and you know, and I might be mistaken in considering him that, because obviously we did have an array of, but as as with any Warnock side, an array of strikers to choose from. But there, there's one for me for starters, you know, his contribution, let's say a limited footballer, not, not the quickest around the pitch, but contributed some gold and still caused defense, defenders a lot of hassle in, a, in an ultimately successfully unsuccessful season. And Scotty and pigs, which is always, yeah. does you hear well? Yeah, yeah. 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 never going to see much harm, is it? You could throw you could throw some uh, Lauren De ja- Lauren uh, Lauren De Jaffo into that same category as well, couldn't you? Yeah, it's good against pigs. Well, yeah, yeah, it's good against pigs. Um, I'm going to go a bit further back for mine. Um, I, I was going to go uh, with the lesser known third member of the the United youth team setup that came to at the same time as Warden Whitehouse, uh, a left back by the name of Richie Lucas, who. Came in and out, and I seem to remember his first three games. Something like he marked, I think he marked Tony Daly on his debut, Steve McManaman, and, and someone else in about three games and did really well. Um, but I'm going a little bit further back than that. I'm going with Simon Webster. Was he a bit yeah. there? He was. It once, when he came back from his broken leg, he was. Right. Because obviously, we've got the kind of midfield two settled on as, as kind of Gannon and Booker pretty much all the way through the promotion season but he came in the side when needed played midfield for some games played centre half for some games I seem to recall played up front at bound, played up front at Boundary Park alongside Dino when we beat Oldham on the plastic pitch we beat him 2-0 they'd not lost there for however long uh, and he was one of them players that just never really let United down and went on to you know went, went to West Ham for, for decent money I think we would have done well if Julian Dix hadn't broke his leg in his first training session. Um, yeah, Simon, my website, I guess someone that never really, never really nailed down a first team shirt, but never, uh, never really let us down when he did come into the side. Horrific injury, wasn't it, as well? It was the reason we signed Bucker, wasn't it? That's a good um, shout. I'm going for one a little bit left field because he, he wasn't. He was a bit more of a bit part player for a while and then disappeared and then came back and became a bit part player for the 100 point season. And I'm going to say Stefan Skugel because that season he was invaluable for several games. He scored a few really important goals and he was he was never a regular in that team, but he played a lot of games as a, as a sub or um, started when you weren't expecting him to. And contributed a lot more to that season than what he's probably remembered to remembered for should I say I think Schoolgirl's one of them players that we've because of the success we've had we've forgot how bloody good he was when we when Schoolgirl first broke into the side it was one of them players like we've got a right gem here he's going to go to at least the championship we're going to be lucky to have him for very long the thing that's held Schoogle back and why he's now playing at a pretty low level in Scotland is just physically he just hasn't got the attributes to succeed at any higher than like a League One level because he just get bullied because he's, he's nothing to him, is there? He's, he's, he's playing amateur football now, isn't he? Is he? Has he dropped down that low? Yeah. When, when, like you said, when we first signed him and I saw him, I had him because he came into the side towards the back end of the season, didn't he? And I had him down as you know, a, a, a good bet for player of the season the following season and, you know... And it made his debut against Fulham and Sure he did. Yeah. In that uh, cup replay when Michael Doyle got sent... Sorry, cup game where Michael Doyle got sent off and with them... First, first the, yeah. The I had him down for winning Scotland caps and all sorts, but mm. not so in that season. The, uh, that Fulham game should have never gone ahead. If it was on TV, if it wasn't on TV, it wouldn't have gone ahead. I remember it was an absolutely atrocious, weren't modern it? Modern day, it was like the ball wasn't moving and stuff. But it on TV. I think they had. He, he played, sorry, go on, Joe. I think they had like Darren Bent up front and uh, a few others in that. It was, it was a good side. It was a decent Fulham side. That one at Hart Hangland, was it? Brett Hangland playing and a few others. But Scoogle went on to have a pretty good United career and, and under Clough, did, he was a regular starter, scored quite a few goals, obviously scored at Wembley and 
will be remembered for, for, for quite a lot of things, but he, he went on loan away from the club a couple of times and then came back under Wilder. And, and like I say, he was a bit part, it was the epitome of a bit part player that season, but he did he did a good job when he did come on. Um, great shout. I've got, uh, I've, I've been really, I've, I've torn between two from the Warnock era. Uh, so I'm going to say them both. Uh, and the first one, Vincent Pericard, uh, scored a couple of goals. And also... Did he, did he play enough to be classed as a bit... What, what's the, what's the next level down from a bit part player? Well, the, let, let me give my justification. I'll go for John Eberle in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm not even... I, I, I think I said eight words. I didn't even construct a sentence. You've never said only eight words. No, fair. Um, No, but he's played 11 times, two goals. And in that side, with Shipley and Cabba, he was brought in and everyone presumed, because he came from Premier League Portsmouth, they'd be him and Cabba up front. But all it did was go on to prove what an absolutely phenomenal player Shipley was for United. Uh, and we shouldn't talk too much about Shipley, so we'll move on. But I'm going to go for Vin- Vincent Pericard as one. And the other one from that era isn't Mike Whitlow, it's Chris Lachetti, who, when we got promoted, uh, and sh- I think Short was injured, and it was like Morgan knocking about, Unsworth knocking about, and uh, he ended up having to play a couple of games towards the end of that season. And I thought he was a pretty solid backup and, and never really let us down. And he was he was at United for about three years, but probably only played 20 times. But I think Lachetti and Pericard both contributed quite well. But to be honest, Trey's suggesting itself, Martin Craney, would be the one that I'd always reference in the future. Because he, and not to mention his antics when he's had a sniff of the Barman's apron. What an absolute legend. I'd have to just check, by the way. I've just checked. Alice, when Alice played 73 times for United, according to Wikipedia. So I don't think that's a bit part. So I'll, I'll no, just throw Mike... Minutes, I'll just throw Mike... 83. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw Mike Zico Lake in the mix. Yeah, so the four goals in the four games, and then he obviously had a, injuries as well and probably didn't play as much for United again in the midfield, like you said, Dan, at that time, that was competitive, to say the least. Yeah. But... For his brief brief spell in the limelight with United, I'll I'll go with Mike Lake. Other other honourable mentions: Emmanuel Gabrielli, Mamadou Sek, Dries Basata, and Marcel Cass. But that was a great question from uh, from Trey. And I'm sh- if you if you listen to this and you can think of some bit part players, we'd love love you to tweet us about those. We might read a few out because bit part eleven. Bit Part 11 might be a project. We're going to have to have something to talk about between now and end of season, aren't we? Um, next one. Lee Connor, um, friend of mine and uh, long-time listener, has asked, is Marcelo removing his shirt away at Coventry to then reveal he was wearing another blade shirt as he threw it into the crowd? The best Chef United celebration? If not, what is? Okay, that's that's a fair one, and I'm going to go to Phil's looking very, very pondering into the distance, so I'm going to go with Dan uh, to kick us off on that one, and I think I know which one he's going to pick. Do you? I thought you'd well, got your favourite. I think you know more than him then. <laughs> yeah. I thought it'd be Glenn Hodges falling off advertising audience. I would, I'd be more tempted to go with Glenn Hodges the week after. When he kind of scored and, and decided not to not to leap over the advertising audience, um, I think I'd have to say one of our one of our former guests on here, uh, which is which is Bob Booker, when he, he scored the goals against Southampton, and he was like I say, I remember looking down the cop at him down the gangway, and he was just this letting out this this kind of roar, um, and it was you know as a Someone who'd been in and out of the side, it was it was amazing to see someone just so elated with with a couple of goals in the in the top flight. Um, you know, you'd probably say honourable mentions to Dane Whitehouse having scored against Wednesday, just that kind of arms in the air and, and fist pumping. Simon Tracy winding Wednesday fans up, even though he never scored the actual goal himself. 
Um, yeah, we've never really gone in for over-exuberant over celebrations. Have we? We've never had a, a Peter Crouch doing the robot or anything like that. They've just more been... I can remember there were one, and I can't actually remember exactly what the celebration was, but remember when Soccer AM used to get players on and get them to do a particular celebration after, the, after they'd been on the show? There was one yeah. with Billy Sharp and uh, James Beattie. I can't remember what it was. It that one was, this, they did the spin round and everyone that fell it. over. Yeah, that were it. Actually, I tell a lie. Can I, can I come back on that? Um, I remember going to Burnley. We beat them in the cup. After the 2-2, after the we beat them 4-1. At their place, Dino, Dino got a hat trick, and Eddie Littlejohn scored the yeah. scored, scored the fourth. Um, and him and Dino were getting absolute dogs racist abuse from Burnley fans for the entire game. And Eddie Littlejohn scored in front of Burnley fans and did his little sharpshooter celebration where he used to whip his finger guns out and did that in front of Burnley fans. And I seem to remember some Burnley fans falling off, falling over a wall and hurting themselves. Um, to try and because they were so pissed off at him, so I'll go with that. Here's a little John Russell in the racists at Burnley. He's a great, great turn of phrase as well. Here's a little John Russell's the racists. I love it. Ian, have you got one in mind? I've got one in. I've got. I've got two in mind. One thing I'll say is I always admire the simplicity of Brian Dean celebrations. Just to stand there, arm in hand, just soak it up. But um, Pesky Salido. James Forrest. Yeah. I, I just, I was just Dick Phils. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, yeah, sorry, but yeah, just. Good job it, you've it, got it, two, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan's had about four. Go on, Phil. Go on, I'll be talking about no, no, talk, talk, talk about Pesky's for longer. It deserves it. It's probably one of the most <laughs> United celebrations of all time. It's just the genuine um, in the moment thing of it. Just, you know, he's off and no one knows where he's going. No one can catch him. He doesn't know where he's going. Shirt's off. Oh my Not God. Sure. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just, and what, you know, a top, a, an, an amazing memory of a, a very special night watching United. So, yeah, I think that one, that one for me. Yeah, I think uh, that that was going to be. I, I was going to say two as well, in fairness, but that that was going to be the one individual celebration from a player, just because of the emotion, the emotion of the night, and it's just so iconic. But uh, player celebrations that they used to do regular. Keith Edwards was class, just so simple. But one of my favourite players as a kid growing up was Janaga Fjortoft, and the aeroplane celebration was just amazing. I used to love it. Yeah. I used to run around pits on a Wednesday night when I was playing with my mates if I ever got that far forward to score a goal because I hated playing in golf either side. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I actually did that when I scored my first ever Sunday league goal as a 17 and a half stone centre half. Up at Graves Park, I think I did the, the Jan Agafjotov uh, airplane celebration. That Dean hat trick away at Burnley, obviously, as you know, I brought up, brought up and went to school down south. I had that. The in, the inside of it must have been either been the star or the programme from the week after with, you know, when you used to show you like a, a still of each goal. Yeah. I had it on the inside of my geography, outside of my geography book for school. Yeah, geography, when you used to back your books. Yeah. Because my geography teacher were a Burnley fan. Just really, brilliant. <laughs> so I'm just thought of another two honourable mentions sorry what about Wilder running down the touchline <laughs> are, yeah. are we allowed to fucking put one forward here <laughs> oh, sorry you have no one have you <laughs> I have no one I don't know if Phil's are you just going to generally Phil yeah I'm not going for that one but mine is a, it is more modern and for me sheer arrogance and Phil, when we saw him wearing what can kind of described as a caftan, <laughs> was after uh, Leon's second at Ellsborough, the turnaround and the sort of like bow towards the away end as the Wednesday fans are streaming out the exits and just almost the sort of, <laughs> like the icing on the cake of the like greatest victory ever. Uh, 
yeah, that Leon just turning around and the fact it was Leon Clark against the pigs and they'd given us not bloody. Even the first one was good, wasn't it, with the rolling rolling his hands? Brilliant. Not very good podcast content, but I have just done I have just done that on 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 here. But yeah, it's that one for me, Leon turning round. But I've got another recent one that was quite good. David Brooks away at Leeds, where he struck that pose in front of Wilder, then that abnormal position he got his hands in. That that celebration was really weird because the, the euphoria in the away end was on par from with the Basham celebrations the season after. But all the players almost ran away from him like, what's he done here? He was like on his own doing some sort of like, very strange, very strange. We've forgotten Billy Sharp's sock thing as well. Oh God, as a wrestling fan, I should... I don't really know what that is, is, is about, but anyone puts a sock on their hand then... Anyone that's got a sock down the fucking pants all game, <laughs> they need applauding for, don't they? Not as much as Joe's ball that does to have it shoved in his mouth. <laughs> Unbelievable. But yeah, some great some great ones there. And obviously the one that Connor suggested with the actual original question. Yeah, the yeah. Uh, Marcelo. Buddy, that away end in Highfield Road. Talk about... <sighs> Not cool in there with that rickety old thing, but um, wasn't there that day. But I remember a period when we seemed to have Coventry every boxing day away for about three years on spin. Um, and I remember going a few times then. Um, some someone this week is uh, the, the lads over at the Chef United Way YouTube channel. I've interviewed Dean Hammond and in, in, in light of that it led to our mate Ben from Blades Pod getting in touch and asking who would you interview who has something to do with United and if they would answer the question without any you know like the gloves are off all all warts and all you get the response who would you ask and what would you ask them from United history so Phil before Ian starts suggesting everything that's ever happened in Sheffield United history, I'll call <laughs> first. I've got one person and one question. In fact, it's one person and one word. Charles Green, why? <laughs> the, potato, the potato farmer. Yeah. I'd have had a different I'm guessing, I'm guessing that, that's reference to uh, Dean and Fjortoft. Selling our two best players on the same day when we're top of the league, chance of going up to the Premier League. Just why? And then I'd make sure there's a lynching mob outside afterwards just to get him. <laughs> I mean it is it is up there with wacky decisions, isn't it? I mean you take one you wouldn't take one going. I don't think there's an example of another club in history doing that. It's, Unless, you know, like they go in into administration or something, but best two players. Just crackers. I mean, we Imagine. did have, we, did have a, a, we were overloaded with forwards that season, weren't we? But even so, to sell your best two on the same day with no one of kind of equal or even close to the same standard coming in is... They brought Dean Saunders in to replace him, did they? Was, it, was he yeah. already there? Because we had... Dean, Dean Fjordoft, Taylor Walker, Couturo, didn't we? And then we bought in Graham Stewart and Saunders with the Dean and Fjordoft money, who were both obviously very good signings, but they weren't as good as them two. The thing is, I can understand the Brian Dean sale. I can get that. Because a club like Benfica comes in for you at that stage of his career. What was he, late 20s at that point? Yeah, 28, 29. 30s, I can't remember. But a club like Benfica comes in for you. It's hard to turn them down. Yeah. From that view and from the player's point of view. But selling Yanaga Fjortov to Barnsley. But if you listen to the interviews that Fjortov's done with the club and I think he did one with Paul Ramble, and they asked him about it and he said he, I had no... He had no desire to go, didn't push for a move, was, you know, gobsmacked by it, assumed that he'd just bought a house in Sheffield, had no desire to, to leave. So it's, it seems odd that, it, you know, it wasn't driven by the player. As well, Fjordov comes across, doesn't he, 
he's just an absolute like at the time he was just daft and you could tell that he was in the game of football for loving the game of football like I mean come on he moved from Swindon he was hardly, you know, chasing the high life of England. Um, well, he did, he did Middlesbrough in between. Well, there we... Where did he go for your off from us? Did he go back to Middlesbrough? Barnsley. Went to Barnsley from us. Yeah, we, he went to Barnsley. That's what I mean, he went to Barnsley from us. It wasn't like he was getting a... Were they Premier League or were they pushing for promotion yeah, that season? Same division as us. Yeah, we was that the season they went up, though? No, they went up. The season they went up under Wilson. Didn't they? I can't remember, to be honest. Very depressing. But I think that's a great question. It's Charles Green. Like, he's... And he just said so many bad things. He was, I don't know. I don't know, eh? Sell your best two players on the set. Imagine if Twitter had been around. Fucking hell. <laughs> it, were bad, it were bad enough reading it on, on bus. Bad enough reading it on 53, aren't we, on from... Uh, I don't know if I'd be at work or at college in them days. But we're bad enough reading it on bus on way home. So go on then. I, I, that's a benchmark. Who else have we got? Dan? Um, I mean, I could go obvious and ask kind of Dave Bassett, you know, or who was the zone. That's, <laughs> that's a kind of, that's a pod in itself. Um Tough, really. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure who, who the best, what the best way to go in this, whether to go kind of deadly serious or, or a bit strange. So I suppose you'd maybe ask, you'd maybe ask Don Givens, why? Same as you're asking Charles Green, why? Because <laughs> John Matthews wouldn't. Actually, yeah. Actually, that's a better question. Yeah. Ask, yeah. Saying to Matthews, go on. You were, yeah. Why didn't you take one? That that's probably the better of the two. That's probably the better question. That is a certain vintage United eye that will know the answer to. Or know that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, John's um, just put up a piece of paper asking a certain former Welsh player a certain question as well. But yeah, we? why did Kieran Freeman only go to Switzerland for four days? I can't. Believe- I'd love to know all about that one. Um, is that yours, then, Dan? Well, the only other one is you'd try and ask someone what actually happened between um, Akin Bay and Davis with that cutthroat razor. Just try and get the, the whether that did really happen. I imagine it did because Akin Baye, the part like Akin Baye, I won't cross him and. Claude Davis, if the way he played football is actually anything to go by how he conducted himself in his personal life, and just be completely chaotic and nothing but a nuisance to everyone around him. I mean, if Claude Davis attacked Akin Bay with a razor the same way he played football, as every chance he cut his own ear off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I think Akin Bay were perfectly safe. It's it's absolutely. It, I'd imagine it would have been quite an experience when them two went for each other in the changing room. Ian, who are you going to ask a question to, mate? Well, I don't want to take yours, John. I'll let you go next. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't take mine, mate, honestly. All right. So I've got I've got a, a question, and it's a bit on the theme of why, but Phil Jagielka, what was going through your head when the ball came across against Wigan? Four million pound move to Everton. Well, <laughs> let's be honest. The other, the other, the other side of that is Jay McEverly. What the hell was going through your head? Most matches, to be fair, but yeah, is that specific ball. to one game or just his entire career? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Jags' handball's a good one. I mean, all that like Warnock. Why did you pick the reserves at Villa? When why why did you play Phil Jagielka at centre half? Why were you so terrified of Lee McCulloch? You can understand if we're going to peak Ronaldo playing wide and you'd say, right, we'll get our best player there. But why are you changing your tactics to to, to try and nullify Lee McCulloch? Paul Jules offered him, uh, Paul Jules said, if you don't let me win, uh, I'll make you star in one of my garage videos. 
<laughs> I do jest. Yeah, there, there were a lot of things. You can ask why about a lot of things that happened towards the end of that season. Definitely. It was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it, it faded away in a way where, where the, that is the perfect question, isn't it? Why? Yeah. Um, my comical one would be, I'd love to just sit Nigel Clough down and say, right, why do you insist on taking such a sharp draw of breath between every response to a question? You sound like you sounded like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Used to do yeah, didn't you? Like, well, today we uh, tried really hard out there, and we got a. Uh, I just like. Is it, like, how did he breathe? It's, it's, it's really horrible to try and communicate with you lot via a video call doing it. It's... But yeah, that'd be my, my big one would be ask Warnock about his tactics at the end of the Premier League season. Because I just think he got it wrong game after game after game. Um, and, it, and it's weird, you've seen a little bit of this in, in Wilder almost with some of the decisions, like with the midfield the other night, that wanting so desperately to get it right that you actually it clouds your vision and you end up doing things completely stupid if I could ask one non-United player about a United incident you could say to Gareth Ainsworth is it too late to say sorry (laughs) not sing it to him obviously (laughs) I I don't want want any of his body though have you seen the state of him at the minute Christ Oh, Ainsworth. Yeah. Well, other than being a, well, he sort of wears like a, a very ill-fitting leather jacket. Van Helsing has done a casting, and he didn't get the job, and he ended up as like a casting for a new Van Helsing film, and he ended up actually on as Wickham manager. <laughs> well, I'm asking Andy Johnson if he fancies coming for a pint with me and George Santos. <laughs> You could ask George Santos if he if he regrets if he regrets anything from that day, and I would imagine his answer will be the fact that Johnson got up. Yeah. yeah well. Actually, from from that game as well, you could ask Patrick Sufo. What the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> just in the middle of all that chaos, I'm just going to nut Derek McInnes. Just. Does anyone remember? Because you lot will have been. A touch older and probably having a drink at half time. Do you remember Sufo parading his Olympic medal now the yeah. half time once and what it being yeah. really awkward? This is during the period where we had a friendly in the middle of a season against Latvia. Yeah. I was at the Latvia game. Can anyone else remember? I've got a random memory and I don't we've gone proper off piste here. Can you remember Edwina Curry's daughter doing a, a song at the start of the game pre match? They did like a stage for her and it turned out it was a wind-up. No way, she has, didn't she ask someone in stand to marry her? That was separate. That was that Balls of Steel on off Channel 4. That's it. That was a spin. the time they had the uh, Territorial Army abseil in from the roof and then showed people how to disarm knives and baseball bats at the side of the pitch five minutes before the match with some sort of incredible like pumping technique. Oh, as a club, if we asked why... We'd be here all night, I think. <laughs> uh, oh, can, can, honestly, can we ask Gary Sinclair why he thought it was a good idea to get Niall Rogers and she kind of half time to mime uh, to the fans uh, playing? They, they came on and mimed and they got booed, booed within an inch of their lives. When was that? <sighs> it's got to be five or Let's six be years fair, ago. No one likes half time entertainment, do they? Yeah. I've got, we've got a special treat for you, Blaze fans. I've arranged for him to come over and he's over here for a show in Sheffield. He's going to perform on the pitch. It's now Rogers and Sheik. Comes on and they just start miming. To what song? Or did they do like a medley? I don't know if it was... I might have been uh, freak out thing, whatever. <laughs> Everybody dance. Fuck off. <laughs> no, no, no one likes half-time entertainment. Everyone either wants to stand and have a drink, stand and have a chat, or just... 
compose themselves after the first half. No one wants to be forced to have fun at half time, do they? <laughs> forced entertainment is the worst time. <laughs> in recent times, it takes 15 minutes on cop to get in and out of bog. <laughs> yeah. right, it's an I mean, absolute mission. Actually, getting to bar at half time. Yeah, they need to bring back that voucher system. That was phenomenal. That was always good. And especially so we can just bully your dad into buying them, Phil. <laughs> Cheers, Dad. I've finished my drink. Oh, yeah. Cheers, Dad. Cheers, dad. Uh, dad, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I hope that was it. I hope people enjoyed a lighthearted thing. There and who knows? We were, we maybe will never know why Gary Sinclair did that. We probably will never know what Warnock were thinking, what went off between Davis and Akin Bayi, why Nigel Clough takes unnecessary pauses in his breath, and why Kevin Freeman only spent five days at Swindon. But it's very hard watching United at the minute, but it's not so hard getting together with you lads to have a bit of a laugh and remember that we're in this for the long haul supporting this club. So it's been a pleasure as always and I'm not very optimistic for Sunday we didn't even do any predictions but it makes that we end it on the positive and uh, optimistic note we always do with an up the blades up the blades up the blades blades. if you go to a pub in Ireland you have to have a song and if you don't have a song you may as well not put it on I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a Murray, right. Well, I'd say Peroni as well. <laughs> <laughs>